to another episode of Operation Evil. This is Nyoka. You sounded British. Really? When you said hello. A little bit. That's awesome. You want to introduce yourself? Good day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Rachel. All right. And if you're new here, thanks. Thanks for stopping by. I hope you stay the whole time (laughs) and come back for more. And tell your friends. I don't have any business to really attend to on this episode. We covered a lot of it in our last week's episode. So if you haven't heard that one, you should go back and listen. It was a good one. It was okay. It was very good. Probably not as good as this one's going to be. And let me tell you why. Because my girl Rachel here is prepared for this. She has worked her little tush off. I'm really excited to hear it because I don't know anything about this story. So yay. I like doing this little concept where we tell a story and the other one has no idea. Yeah, because it's just like, I don't know. It's our true reactions to it. It's kind of like those reaction YouTube videos. Yes. But not on camera. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Soon it will be on camera. No. No. Maybe one I'll day. be on camera. Oh, I got it. Put a green screen. I'll wear green. I'll paint my face green. <laughs> and put a different face. Oh my gosh. Stop yes. it. You're always saying that. So what's your story about? <laughs> hey, hey my daughter would say, fishing for a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I hope she hears this. She won't. No. Um, this story is from my hometown of little old Carrollton, Kentucky. Carrollton. It's funny because people call it Carrolltown or they'll say like Carlton. It's Carrollton. Okay. Carrollton. 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 I like it. <laughs> so this event took place in 1985. Oh. Before I was born. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I like how you said that. <laughs> I was a little gail. I don't remember hearing anything about this whatsoever. But the street where the event occurred, we would drive by up and down the street. It's like the main, not the main street in town, but like it's a busy street. It's right across from a park. General Butler State Park. There used to be a ski lodge or a ski resort there. And people would come from all over the world. Seriously? I don't know about all over the world, but... (laughs) They would come. They would come from afar. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> All right. So Ruby Sutter was born May seventh, nineteen twenty nine, in Madison, Indiana. Now that's when you were born. Nineteen twenty nine. I'm just kidding. I was born in the year nineteen forty nine. <laughs> My bad. You like how like every time I try to make up a story, I say nineteen forty nine. I wonder why. Were you really born in your past life? In because when I died of a plane crash, I was born in 1949. Oh. And then came back in 79. Oh. I like it. Let's go with that. Love it. So Madison, Indiana is like, it's about 20 minutes away from Carrollton. And just, I don't know in the past if I give you a little bit of education on Carrollton, but if you live in Carrollton... There's just a Walmart there to go to. I mean, you got to drive anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour to go do something. That sounds eventful. Yeah. 
And oh, like, you guys have a as a Walmart? There's a Walmart. There's a Kroger. There's a Walgreens. There's just not a lot of recreational things to do. Although I haven't lived there for over <laughs> 20 years. so <laughs> Is it still that way? It's come. You know what? It's really growing. There's like an RV park down there. Um, that's about all I, I thought know. thought you said an RB. There like is R- an R base. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but so my point is, is like, you know, that there's a little hospital there, but they don't have like a trauma unit or anything like that. So you would go an hour away for big issues or big events or what have you. Whatever. So Ruby was born in Madison. That's where I was born, too. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm a Hoosier. Wow. I'm a Buckeye. You were born in Ohio? I was. Never lived there, though. I was just born there. Same. Not Ohio. Replace Ohio with Indiana. Right. Okay. Got it. So, Ruby, she, you know, being being born in the 20s, 30s, whatever, like, they're usually going to hear about big families, right? Mm -hmm. So, Ruby had nine siblings. Um. The first sibling, I thought this was so cool, was born in 1895. Oh, my god! Isn't that cool just to read that? 1895. It seems like, I don't know, a million years ago. Yeah. So her, the the youngest sibling was born in 1939. And in the documents that I read was that she had like three of those siblings were like either they died at birth or maybe they lived to be a year old. And then her husband, I could not find the year that they got married. I don't know how long they were married. Maybe they didn't get married. They were married. Okay. I just found information that they were married, but I never found. The one thing I found said that they were married in 1918. How could that be possible? Because Ruby was born in 1929. I mean, it's possible. (laughs) Well, and then I thought, well, maybe they got married in 1981. They got the numbers inverted, but I don't think that would make sense either. So You mean 1891? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's all before the 1900s, so it's all the same. It's all the same. Same thing. Uh, Roy Lee Bickers was born April 16th, 1915. So when he was three years old, he got married. and he was born in the little Carrollton hospital and he had five siblings he was the oldest and then he had one sister so out of the five siblings only one was a girl and she was the youngest and then Ruby and Roy they had one son together and I'm just telling you up front that there's a lot of holes in the story. There's some missing info that I could not find. We couldn't even find anything on the YouTube, like news reports. So simmer down. Simmer down. <laughs> Don't give you a hard time. <laughs> Wait, so you said they had one son. Yeah. that That's it, though? Yeah, all I could find was that they had just the one child. Huh. And I, like I said, I couldn't find any information, like when the child was born. Yeah. Or... I found one report actually that said that it that it, he was adopted, but hmm. what significance? I mean, that was their son, so yeah. you know. Yeah, Ruby worked at the city hall. She was a treasurer and like a city clerk and a secretary. 
which is similar to the jobs we do. Yeah. <laughs> so she did not show up to work one morning. And the police and people were getting a little, like, what's going on? So the police went over to her house, or to the house, and they found Ruby. Like, the door, they could tell that the door, someone had broken in. They found Ruby behind the front door, and then they found her husband by the rear door. Oh. And they both were dead. And they... Evidence was that Miss Bickers, her fingers were severed. Like a couple of her fingers were severed. She had cuts on her hands and her body was really bruised. So that tells me right off the bat that this woman fought whoever her attacker was. Yeah. They both died. Ruby and Roy both died from numerous cuts and blows to their heads and neck. And they didn't really determine at the time what it was, but a sharp instrument was used. That's what caused their death. And later on, they found out, or it was said that it was a hatchet. Now, there was conflicting stories that it was an axe, and then they said, you know, they ruled out that it was a knife. It was not a knife. So, most of the sources that I read said it was a hatchet. Okay. So, this person struck them with a hatchet. Now, on this case, the Carrollton Police Department at that time... Carrollton, you know, the the population at the time was like 4,000, and this was in 1985, 4,200 residents. Did I say 1985? I think you did. Okay, so yeah. At that time, you know, a small population. I mean, it is when you think about it. Yeah. And I mean, it was so small that at the time they didn't even really have a, like a detention facility, like, you know, a, a jailhouse or anything like that. Yeah. That At the time, there was a small police station, and it did have like a cell in it. But it would be for, like, something small, like maybe an overnight stay, not like a detention center. Yeah. So they would send, if, you know, someone was arrested, they would send them elsewhere. They could send them to Williamstown, which is about an hour, 45 minutes, an hour away. Or they could send them to Boone County, which was about an hour away as well. Um, That's a long way. Yeah. Now they do have a facility. They have um, a newer, like a city hall. They have like a detention center, nice police station. But I don't. That might have been around like the two thousands or something like that when that was built. I think it was after I moved away. I wonder what their population is now. I wonder too. You know what? I take that back. I want to say it was the later nineties that that was built. I'm just gonna. It's just kind of interesting to see the the buildup of that town over the years. So on the case, usually when it was a big case like this, the Kentucky State Police came in to help. And on this case, it was with the Carrollton Police, uh, Carroll County Sheriff's Department, the Carroll County Coroner's Office, and the Kentucky State Police. They all gathered to, you know, to help out with this case. And in the beginning, no details were released about the case. They did not want to jeopardize the case. They felt like, you know, if, if details were released, that that could really hurt the investigation. The home, like the area of the home was searched, like the outside of your area. And like I said, the their home was across from a park. So I assume that they would have searched that area too. Yeah. 
And they later on, they found out that items were taken from their house. There was guns taken, a police scanner, which was very common back then. I remember my mom all having a police scanner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very common. Yeah. Uh, That's how it was almost like entertainment for them, too. Yes. Yeah. Or you could hear like the squad cars going out. They want to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Her Miss Bickers's purse was taken and a jewelry box was taken as well. So before I get into more, a little bit more about the the murder itself, Mayor Charlie Webster at the time, this murder was was referred to as slayings. There was a lot of articles that I read that that referred to as like the Bickers slayings. Okay. Uh, the coroner at the time, he had been the coroner since 1980, James Dunn. He said, "quote I've never seen anything like it." End quote. Which I'm sure, like. There had been things that happened in Carrollton, but never anything like that. Like I said before, jumping back to, you know, Miss Bickers didn't show up to work. And the police went to the residence to see what's going on. And that's when they found the bodies. The bodies were found by Police Chief Lehman Stark. He went to school with my mom. Lehman Stark, yeah. Officers Ronnie Culver and Kentucky State police trooper Milton Aldridge. Those were the responders, the first people to the scene. It was believed that with Ruby, it was a Friday, 9.30 a.m. that they found the bodies. Because like I said, you know, she probably went to work, what, maybe around 7, 8 o'clock, something like that. Yeah. Okay, so just to clarify, when they found the bodies of Ruby and Roy, it was Friday morning at 9.30 a.m. And that night, they did conduct autopsies. But the results, they did not release. They, Like I said, you know, before about the details of the investigation, they were kind of being quiet about it. For good reasons. Yeah. At a news conference, the police chief, which was Lehman Stark, said, quote, You must realize that due to the severity of the case and amount of data... We cannot release any information until we get all the findings. Meanwhile, though, all the residents are scared. And uh, Chief Stark just said, you know, make sure all your doors are locked, all your windows are locked. Do not open doors to unfamiliar people. At the time, people were just thinking it was like a robbery gone wrong. They really didn't know. You know, they just thought it was something, an outside source or something like Who's in our town kind of thing. Yeah. And the thing is, too, for people that some people may have never experienced the whole small town Mm -hmm. feel. Small towns, because I live in a small town now, it's very different. Very, very different. Everybody knows everybody. Mm -hmm. Everybody talks about everybody. Everybody. I mean, I don't know if Carrollton's necessarily like that, but I know here. Um, exactly like everybody that. knows somebody or somebody's related to somebody who's related to somebody like there's connections everywhere and it's kind of like a looking out for your neighbor right for good and bad yeah i mean if you see that so-and-so isn't home at eight o'clock when they normally are yeah. then you might call so-and-so to say hey they're mm-hmm. not home like what's going on right and that's kind of what happened in this case. Yeah. And that's probably why they kept it so hush hush too, because Mm -hmm. it too much talking. Yeah. And I mean, I will say that there was some gossip and I'm not going to repeat any of the gossip because I just, I don't want to. Because it's gossip. 
Right. I mean, yeah. I'm doing the story because I want Roy and Ruby Bickers to be remembered. And so I don't want to say anything negative. Yeah. The people that live there, they know. Right. <laughs> so neighbors described the couple as quiet and friendly. Roy was a retired paving company employee, and he was actually ill with cancer. And I don't know what kind of cancer he was fighting. Couldn't find any information on that. Um, But it was said that he was gone from home almost every day, tending to a cattle farm in Madison, Indiana. Wow. Yeah. And remember, that's that place I was telling you that's like 20 minutes away. Yeah. So he sounded like he just worked all his life. And at the time, so he was 70 when he died and Ruby was 55. I was going to ask. I'm sorry, 65. Okay. Yeah. So they were older, still working. Ruby was, they described her as a sturdy woman who would have fought back. Ooh. Yeah. And so when I read that, I'm like, no wonder the bruises on her body. She did fight. Yes, she did. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I was saying about the neighbors being at home at 8.30, blah, blah, blah. So the neighbors got home about 8.30 that night, and all their lights were on. And this would have been Thursday night. And they would usually see Mr. Bickers reading his paper, like, through the window, because they would leave their drapes open in the front window. And passerbys could just see inside their house. Again, small town. They yes. even know what time you're reading the paper. Uh-huh. There's a routine. Yes. I wonder if the, if their, I guess their neighbors didn't see anything. Somebody has to see something. Well, the last encounter that anybody saw Miss Bickers, no one had seen Mr. Bickers. There was no mention of him. But on that Thursday, Miss Bickers was seen walking across the yard from her home to her neighbor's home about 630 And it was to deliver a piece of mail that she had received by mistake. Oh. So, you know, I guess she returns home. They see the lights on at 830. Sometime that night, it had to have happened. So first, we're going to start with Gregory Yancey. So Gregory Yancey, at the time, he was 29, and he's from Florence, from Boone County, Florence, Kentucky. And he was working as a cook at, at like, one of the, the inns, like a hotel kind of place. Mm-hmm. And at one point, I read that he was a former preacher. Wow. Yeah. Don't, ha- like, again, don't have the dates or anything on that, but he was a preacher. Hmm. So, I mean, that's a something about him. Yeah. His aunt, I'm going to leave her name. I'm going to just call her anonymous. Okay. On April 5th, 1985, Detective Harrison at the uh, Kentucky State Police in Dry Ridge receives a call about this confession that was supposedly said to this aunt. Okay? So, I'm just going to kind of take you through the story. Okay. So, supposedly, Gregory was in a car driving with his aunt and the aunt's child. So, I guess it would have been his cousin. And supposedly he confessed to her about committing the murders. He told her that there was like a ring, a gold ring, like a cluster gold ring that was stolen, that he had it. And that he had had a cup of coffee with Miss Bickers, then left and then forced his way back into the home, attacked Miss Bickers and Mr. Bickers with a machete. Oh, 
hacked off her fingers to get her rings that she was wearing, and then stood there and watched as they bled to death. And also said that the murder weapon was at the trailer of his friend's, like, property or whatever. Dang. Yeah, so this aunt calls this detective and says, hey, my nephew tells me this. So they, they start looking into it. What an odd thing to confess to your aunt. I know, just driving down the road. <laughs> From then, investigators went back to the scene. And they could tell that the door was forced open. They saw a cup of coffee in the sink. Mm, it's sounding like his story. Sounding like it. But they found out that only Mrs. Bicker's prints were on that cup. And there was only one cup. There wasn't two or three. Oh. Just one. They also found that there was cuts in the carpet. And the cuts were like where Miss Bicker's body was laying. Like her hand would have been. The cuts in the carpet were like under her hand. So like, you know, if her hand had cut, had been cut, or her fingers, then it would have cut into the carpet, right? Yeah. They were able to find out that those cuts in the carpet had been there long before the murders. Huh. Okay. So, yeah, through, I guess, further forensic work, they were able to tell that. And <laughs> her fingers were not cut off, which I found that they were just cut and then also read that they were severed. Now, I thought that severed meant totally cut off. Yeah, that's what I... But then I read another report, actually, that said that they were just cut and that her rings were intact, that she had her rings on. So that's kind of conflicting there, too, right? That's weird. And then, so on April 9th, the detective calls, I'm just going to call her Miss Anonymous, or the Anonymous Aunt. They call Anonymous Aunt, and they asked her about a pair of earrings and showed them to her and said, you know, does this match the ring that Gregory was talking about? So they show her, she said that they, that the earrings did match the ring. And also to add, they did not interview the son. So the, the cousin of Gregory, he's witnessing this confession, right? Yeah. I don't know his age, but they didn't question him. No, no interview for him. So I don't know if maybe he was like a minor. Maybe that's say, why. Maybe he was young. too young. On April 10th, after getting the confirmation from the anonymous aunt that these earrings match the ring, the detectives, they want to issue a warrant for his arrest. So they, they go to Judge Billingsley and they request to get a, an arrest warrant and also a search warrant. So the two friends that supposedly the murder weapon was left at their home. Yeah. They get a search warrant issued for those two friends for their residence as well. And they lived in Williamstown. Now, it did not, did not include info about Miss Bicker's finger, like the wounds or the lack of fingerprints. Then for, for actually for Greg's home for a search warrant, mm -hmm. they had to go to Boone County to a judge in Boone County and say, hey, can we get a search warrant? Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, different district or whatever. Yeah. They go to Judge Hall and they, you know, they they tell him they what they need. Um, so Judge Hall did question the adequacy of the affidavit. Like, you know how when a search uh, warrant, like, is requested or whatever, 
like you just said, they read out the details. Yes. So he had a little bit of a question, though, because he said that there was an officer that told another officer. It was kind of like this officer told this officer that they saw Gregory coming out of his apartment with a weapon. So it wasn't like the direct officer that was reporting this. It was like a secondary officer. Okay. You follow me? Yeah, I'm following you. <laughs> okay. And then they said, you know, it could have been the murder weapon that he had carried out of his apartment. Right. The judge says, okay, I will issue you the search warrant as long as you change this affidavit to specifically say that. Okay. It was changed by the judge's orders. So then on April 6th, that's supposedly when he was seen carrying this machete out of his apartment. Okay. Okay. Okay, so on April 6th, which is the day after the detective got a call from the aunt. Okay. Okay. They arrest Gregory. And they he's, like, held for, like, five days. And then they decide that they don't have enough evidence. So they just drop the charges. Yeah, you can only hold them so long, I think. Yeah. And what's so aggravating about this whole thing, though, is that I could not find any any more information on... With the anonymous aunt. Like, why would he confess to this? Like, what is the story on the aunt? That is so aggravating about this case. Yeah. There's just not enough information. No, and like, just why? Like, where where did Greg Yancey come into play in this? Like, and then the the other two guys that supposedly were Greg Yancey took the the weapon to their to their home. But I guess, did they not find these weapons? Yeah, nothing was found. It, one report said that a ring was found. But then another report that I read or article that I read said that it was found elsewhere. Hmm. So I am i don't know. I think just with with Gregory Yancey, it was just they kind of like they took a lead. You know, this woman calls and says, hey, my nephew confessed. And they they did what they thought was right, which, you know, they investigated it. They held him until they could further do their work and they didn't find anything. So they let him go. Yeah. And and you know what? It could have been a false confession because for some weird reason, people do that all the time. I don't know why. Maybe he was just joking. Maybe. Or, you know, maybe he could have just said something small, like maybe she was talking about it. Maybe he's like, oh, yeah, I did it. Who knows? Maybe she felt bad after turning on men and gave him a heads up. I don't know. <laughs> see, you can tell I live in a small town, huh? Because yeah. I just created that whole side story. <laughs> and see, and that would travel to your neighbor who would tell their other neighbor who would tell their other neighbor. Yeah. That's how it And works. it would happen within the hour. <laughs> and he lived like, a, like what, two, three counties away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that leads us to Kevin Fitzgerald. Suspect number two. Number two. Now, again, I have no idea how Kevin Fitzgerald came into play. I don't know how he became a suspect. Don't know. I think we need to call your mom to call her <laughs> high school friend who was the sheriff. I did reach Bring out. Bring him on live. I did reach out to the sheriff. Or He is a school resource officer now. Oh. But I did re- reach out to the uh, police captain at the time. Or what would he been? Was it the captain? 
chief. He was the police chief. (laughs) Different departments have different names for positions, but yeah. So, yeah, I did reach out to Mr. Stark, but... He said, no way, Jose. He didn't reply. (laughs) Oh, he didn't even say no way, Jose. But it was through Messenger, so maybe he don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? So one thing that I forgot to mention that let me clarify is that there was no new evidence from the search at Greg Yancey's residence of hair, blood samples that were taken. There was no matches. So he was officially released on lack of evidence. The police jumped the gun, but Yancey was still a strong suspect. So back to Kevin Fitzgerald. Kevin, suspect number two. I don't remember if I already said that he was 21 and from Carrollton, so I'm going to just say it again. Yeah. And he was a student at Eastern Kentucky University, located in Richmond, about an hour and 45 minutes from Carrollton. Yes. Alexis went there, and that campus is stunning. It's beautiful, historical looking. It's Ooh. so pretty. I think you've been on that campus. No. It's beautiful. That school and another school, I know there's a lot of the surrounding counties that tend to go there. Oh, and you know what else is cool about that school? There was, um, I don't know if you watched paranormal shows at all, but there was Uh one called School Spirits. It wasn't, it was like one season, maybe (laughs) two. School Spirits? Yes. Like ghosts in schools and stuff. And there was like a whole episode of this, um, this ghost, this girl that would haunt one of the um dorm halls at EKU. Ooh. It was exciting. <laughs> I wonder if Holmes is haunted. Maybe. I mean that's very old too. It's a castle. <laughs> it is a castle. You're a castle. You're a castle. Oh. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt, but no interruptions it's so here. Pretty. No interruptions here. Oh wait, I keep forgetting about this Yancey guy. Yeah. I feel bad. But he uh he was evicted from his apartment, lost his job, and was shunned by all of his friends too. Oh, because of this? Because of the arrest, yeah. He shouldn't have confessed his aunt. <laughs> we don't know that he really did. He did while she was baking cookies in the kitchen. Nuh-uh, she was driving. I know, I'm just making up a oh. new story for the town to talk oh. about. Oh, he really confessed to burning the... She said, Gregory, you watch these cookies and don't let them burn. And he let them burn. So she said, you know what? Get in the car. We're going to the store to get new cookies. <laughs> and your your ass is going to jail. Yeah. You know why? Because I'm going to call the cops. I'm going to say, you know what he said? He said, he did this and this and this. Don't burn the cookies again, Gregory. I almost called him Jeffrey. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. (laughs) We just made this up on the fly. You want to be a part of our podcast patrons? This is the reason why you should be. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, Kevin was arrested at 4 a.m. 4 a.m. on a Wednesday. Can you imagine being arrested at 4 4 a.m.? I know. I'd be like, I'm sleeping. What are you doing? Get out of here. So he lived near Richmond. He probably lived on campus. He no, or no. He lived in like a um I think it was like a trailer park off campus. Oh, okay. 
On June 6th, he was indicted and taken to the Grant County Jail in Williamstown, where many Carroll County prisoners are jailed and then arraigned in Grant County Circuit Court. He pled not guilty and was held without bond on two charges of, guess what? Murder? Capital. John Ackman, the Carroll County's... Carroll County's Commonwealth's attorney, he said that he will seek the death penalty because it was multiple deaths. How do they know it's him? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I told you this story is full of holes. (laughs) Kevin was having difficulties acquiring a attorney. So for that reason, several hearings were rescheduled. And still, it's unclear, like, how he became a suspect. But he was known to be, like, a family friend. That's all we know. Okay. So there is some connection there. At the trial, that's kind of when all the info, at least to the public or to the media, was more of the information was released. There was acquaintances and friends of Kevin's that said that he was into drugs And that he was, like, obsessed with, like, mafia. He was so obsessed that he wanted to change his name to a popular, like, a mafia boss. But then said that he was just joking. Yeah, right. I don't think it was a joke, Kevin. No, Kevin. Do you want to know why he said that he killed them? Why? Yes, I do want to know. Self-defense. Self defense. (laughs) Two against one. Yeah. He said that he feared for his life while at the house. This is what he said happened. He said that he went there to tell Roy and Ruby that he could not pay back to them. They let him borrow $3,300 to pay a debt, which was a drug debt. And he came to the house and said that he couldn't repay it. So they got mad, and Ruby waved, had a pistol, was waving it at him, pointed it in his face, and was like, get out of our house. I'm going to tell your mom about the money and the drugs. So he grabs a hatchet from the kitchen to defend himself. Who has a hatchet in their kitchen at random? Yeah, that's weird. I know. It doesn't make any sense. He said that he freaked out and began striking the bakers with an instrument. He blamed drugs for the violent outburst. It just, none of it. So he was just on drugs, probably. The trial's going on, like I said, and I'm just going to, kind of already said it, but I'm just going to read this quote from attorney Edward C. Monahan. He said, quote, that Fitzgerald reached for an axe in the kitchen and all hell broke out. Miss Baker's pistol in hand ordered Fitzgerald out of the house. And this was Fitzgerald's attorney at, like, the opening arguments or, you know. So Commonwealth's attorney, John Ackman, he portrayed Fitzgerald as a drug dealer and user. Cocaine. Mm. The drug of choice was cocaine. That he was desperate for money and he knew that the Bickers, he knew that they kept cash in their house. So that's where the motive, they thought, you know, that it was a robbery. That's where that came from. But it's just so, like, like I said, there's so many holes because if he was a family friend, how did he know that? If they let him borrow money, then they had to have been close ties somehow. 
Yeah, or that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money, especially in 1985. And now he knows that they have that money, Mm -hmm. or where they kept that money. Right? Why wouldn't he just call and be like, "Look, I can't pay you at the moment." Why is he going to stop there? Right. Unless he had intentions of doing something. Yeah. And plus living far away. And like it, over an hour he away. He makes it sound like she had the pistol in like her dress pocket or something. Right. And pulled it out. Yeah. When he said that. And I just think that that is just silly too because there wasn't. I mean, obviously a we don't on know. The seat. Right. But we're it, making our own assumptions or. Suspicions, like or based whatever. on what the attorneys are saying. He also, Kevin also said at the trial that he was sorry for having killed the Bickers, and he wanted his mother to be understanding. <laughs> this is just so silly because <laughs> how can you ask your mother to be understanding? It's not like you just, like, stole a candy bar, dude. <laughs> Why would she have to be understanding if it was self-defense anyway? Good point. He also asked for forgiveness, too. Again, why would he need to be forgiven if it was self-defense? Because he's. he also asked for mercy because he wanted... I think he wanted, like, a less punishment maybe he thought it would make him look better in the jury's eyes or something yeah or no punishment yeah he won he also said that he wants to become a worthwhile member of society and to put his past failures behind him and i i say that like it's a mockery because i think it's just bull (laughs) whatever did you find out like what his sentencing was yeah so the jury deliberated for eight hours And they gave him 40 years, and he got two consecutive 20-year term sentences. Mm. The the jury did say, though, that they believed that he was under extreme emotional disturbance for which there was justification. He was, his, like, charge was, or his, um... What do you call it? Like, he was found guilty first-degree manslaughter. Okay. That's what the actual... Instead of uh, murder. Right. So they're they're thinking he did believe it was self-defense because his mental state? Yeah, or I guess, like, That's he, what it sounds like, anyway. He was so emotional that he couldn't think clearly. Yeah. And a lot of the citizens, they... They criticized. They didn't agree with that. They thought, you know, that he was, like, in his right mind and that he should have got a little bit more of a harsh punishment. You said the trial was held in in Carrollton as well, right? Yes. But the judge, he disagreed with the public's perception. He backed up the jury and he said, you know, that it was justified, their findings. Yeah, I mean... You're not supposed to sentence this hard, harsh punishment if there's any doubt there. And right. obviously they had doubt of some sort. It's just hard when the emotion, like drugs and all these other factors yeah. are brought into it. Drugs are bad. Okay. 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 That was a wild crazy 
roller coaster. Wait, there's more. <laughs> there's even more? <laughs> no, I mean, that's great. I mean. So, back to, to Yancey. So, just a little update. Yeah, so Yancey, he did file a a lawsuit against, like, Carroll County Police Department, I think the Sheriff's Department, Kentucky State Police, but the the lawsuit was dropped. Why? What was he suing for? For, um, like, wrongful arrest. That's ridiculous. That's, he was a suspect. They were, right. They were doing their job. He was ruled out, so I don't understand. Like, it sucks that he lost his job or whatever came from that, but at the end of the day, they did their job. Right, and that's basically what the judge ruled on. I mean, there was a lot of legal jargon in this article that I found (laughs) beyond what I can understand, but that's basically what the judge said was that his findings were that the police did adequate work. They did what they were supposed to do. It's not like he was sentenced for all these years and served Mm -hmm. time he was a suspect yeah and remember how i told you in the beginning how when the judges signed off for the search warrants and the arrest warrants Mm -hmm. you know they were questioned like the one judge was questioned um if you were told that there was two witnesses to the confession but really there was one would that have changed your mind and he's like no yeah two Two witnesses are great, but, you know, one will suffice. And then the other judge with the affidavit about this officer told this officer that, that he saw. This right. Yeah. And he said, you know, that's why he had them change the affidavit, because he wanted to be clear about it. So, you know, they expressed that they didn't have regret in signing off for the warrants, that they they were warranted. Yeah. So, you know, they did everything. And correct it, yeah. Right, right. Now, for Kevin Fitzgerald, he served his time. He got out of prison. (laughs) He went back in. He got out and went back in? Oh, my gosh. The only other thing I could find about him was he was living outside of Bowling Green. Or, well, actually, he was arrested in Bowling Green. He was living in Dawson Springs, Kentucky. So as of February 2013, which... We were doing the math to see how much time he spent. And it wasn't the 40 years. He only served around 25, 26 years. And we're guessing he got out early on good behavior. Because there was not really any information on that. It was kind of like there's no information at all until February 2013. When a search warrant was issued in December of 2011 for Kevin and someone made a call or there were suspicions about him having guns. And so Kevin was arrested then. They found 100 rounds of federal brand 20 gauge shotgun ammo, a Ranger 12 gauge double barrel shotgun, eight rounds of Winchester Western brand 12 gauge shotgun ammo. <laughs> it's like, hello, you're a felon. You're not supposed to have I any know. of this stuff. <laughs> so he was sent to federal prison for that, though. Yeah, he broke his probation mm-hmm. for that. 
he was sentenced in U.S. District Court for 30 months to serve in the federal prison. And then after that, he was to be um, like on a three-year supervised release. He was charged for illegal possession of a firearm and ammunition. He had a lot of it, too, it sounded like. But yeah, I mean, 100 rounds of just that one thing. Like, what was he going to do with it? That's what I want to know. <sighs> and he was... Still, like, kind of close to home in Bowling Green. But that's it. Uh, there wasn't, like I said, there was a lot of holes in the story. Not a lot of information. I would have liked to know more about Ruby and Roy. Just, you know, what kind of people they were. Me they too. Were. I, we need some Carrollton listeners. If yeah. you are a listener from Carrollton and you know these people, are you know of the story a little more you know the town you know gossip-ish stuff i I don't know (laughs) Um, (laughs) i would love for you to reach out to us because i would love to do an update on this or even greg yancey you know i wonder how he's doing now because because he lost everything right and you know the aunt like why would what was the deal with that? Why did she why did she say her nephew confessed? Like, was that even a true story? Yeah. Where is where is Kevin Fitzgerald now? Is he rehabilitated? Like, is he better? Yeah. If you know any of these people or related to these people and you can like fill in any of these holes, that would be amazing. And I I guess the best way to reach us, I mean, if that is the case is through email so you can really write us and tell us about it which is uh, operation evil podcast at gmail.com yeah yeah we want to we want to update on this mm-hmm. we need some Carrollton people to hit us up it was you know and it's a story too like i said because it came from my hometown that you right i want to know more everybody has a story in their town you know what i mean yeah good job rachel Uh, if you haven't listened to Nyoka's story, go listen to her story. That was a very interesting story. Oh, thank you. Your story wins the night. She's trying to squeak the chair right now, and it's not happening. (laughs) Two episodes recorded with no squeaky chair. And you know why? Because we have amazing people helping support the show. And if you would like to be one of those people look at our patreon it's in our show notes thank you you'll like the little bloopers yes for sure we're gonna have a bloopers episode one of these days we're saving bloopers and just fyi right now this episode says 37 minutes and it's not gonna be 37 minutes again it's gonna be cut down because there's a lot of editing 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 (laughs) (laughs) that's true Thank you guys for joining us in another week, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to this mess. (laughs) We appreciate it so very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.